Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Buy a Business Near Me, brought to you by the Business Radio X Ambassador Program, helping business brokers sell more local businesses. Now, here's your host. Welcome to another exciting and informative edition of Buy a Business Near Me. Stone Payton here with you this afternoon. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast with Mid-American Capital Holdings, Dr. Philip Hearn. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon, Stone. How are you? I am doing well, man, and really been looking forward to this conversation. I think maybe a great place to start is if you could share for me and the benefit of our listeners, mission, purpose, what are you and, and your team really out there trying to do for folks, man? Absolutely. So uh, first, thanks for uh, for having me on. I've been looking forward to this as well. So this would be great. Um, so the genesis of Mid-American Capital Holdings is that we are working and trying to focus on experience to kind of give a Main Street feel to, quote unquote, the private equity experience. Uh, so that's everything from focusing on companies that we're looking at purchasing, also working with folks who are new to potentially purchasing companies or maybe even have experience, but want to start to expedite that process. Uh, so with our experience, my team and I have had over 45 years of business ownership experience. Uh, and then we have a expanding network of contacts lead generation, the whole nine yards that allows us to go into that process and try to find a streamline. Because one thing that I hear about, no matter how seasoned or how new a business acquirer is, is trying to really streamline processes. So you can't get it right usually 100% of the time, but you can definitely work towards um, a, a method that is closer to perfection than chaos. <laughs> well, that sounds important. <laughs> so what's the backstory, man? How did you find yourself in this line of work? So like most of my good stories, kind of an accident, actually. Uh, so I actually started my first business. Uh, it will be 17 or uh, 16 years ago uh, next month. Uh, I started my own procurement management company. So I've been used to starting businesses from scratch. I also have a background working in corporate America, uh, done enough education prior to, to kill a horse, right? Uh, so <laughs> undergrad, two masters and a doctorate. Uh, but this is fun for me because it's basically problem solving. And so as, as opposed to starting from complete scratch, which I've done with using most of my businesses early in my career, to starting to buy smaller acquisitions and then growing into that particular space. It's fun because you're able to solve your use your skill set to solve problems or challenges uh, as you're looking at those new businesses for acquisition uh, and, and looking at even those opportunities where you see, hey, I can play this role. I, I'm actually much more uh, skillful than maybe sometimes you give yourself credit for to dive into that role of, of a C-level or assembling teams or understanding what's actually happening in that business and how to make it better. So uh, I started with an accident with starting my own business, and uh, it's the closest thing I can find to playing sports. I'm a little older now, so trying to move <laughs> around playing certain sports is not quite the same as when I was 16, 17, and 18. So <laughs> <laughs> so now that you've been at this a while, what is the the most rewarding for you, man? What, what, do, you, what do you enjoy the most? You know, the two parts that I enjoy the most are the journey and the people. Um, 
everything is a people business. And I, I think if we've learned nothing else with everything that we went through with the pandemic, um, we're now more connected than we ever have been. I think not only within you know the country, but but globally, truthfully. So dealing with people is is kind of that tried and true piece of it, but it's the journey. I mean, not every day is going to be perfect, nor do I expect it to be, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, even my, my worst days, quote unquote, uh, in this type of business are better than some of the days I spent in different corporate settings, right? I kind of look at it like I control my own destiny. I'm surrounded with fantastic people and I get to do something that is a, a becoming more of a passion project than even just work. So I would say the people in the journey are the two uh, favorites for me as I as I work through this stuff on a daily basis. Have you had the benefit of of one or more mentors, particularly as you sort of embarked on on this fork of the path to kind of help you navigate this this new terrain? Great question. Um, I've had mentors help with what I think is my mindset as I've navigated this, but I, I feel like with all the uh, the trainings that I took and, and trying to read up about it, I, I felt like I was going back through a master's or a doctorate program. So part of my background is I'm not uh, an MBA student or anything like that from your Harvards or your Whartons or your Stanfords. Uh, my undergrad was media communication. I've, I originally wanted to be a sports broadcaster. So this is fun wow. to be back in kind of a radio <laughs> podcast scenario, right? I'm having flashbacks, which is fantastic. Um, undergrad, or My first master's was in marketing. Second was in health administration. And then uh, my doctorate is in education with an emphasis in leadership and management. So I, I've taken maybe a circuitous route to it. But at the same time, I think my past experiences, there's a ton of transferable experiences have helped me kind of get to this point. So mentors in my uh, other facets of life, I think, have helped me with the mindset on how we we attack and how we go about doing our business on a daily basis. So, yeah, let's talk about the work a little bit, particularly I'm interested in sort of the the early part of the engagement cycle, if that's the right term. I'm kind of from the consulting world. so But the, early on, I, I would think that there's um, quite a bit of information exchange and just kind of getting to know each other. Speak to that that process a little bit, if you could. So I'll give you two parts of that. And, and, and I think you're dead on with having that consulting background. So kudos to you. Um, the early part of the engagement, anytime you're actually getting deeper into the deal. So let's go all the way back to the beginning. The earliest part of the engagement is really just lead generation and understanding the data and the lead flow that you're you're trying to figure out. So what's your criteria, right? So we're lucky to have some different experiences uh, within my my leadership team on our end. So we kind of look a little wider in terms of the criteria piece. So when I say criteria, uh, are you looking for deals that are cash flow or EBITDA? How much? Are you looking for a specific purchase price? Are you looking for a specific vertical or industry? Uh, so that kind of starts the baseline and helps that search as you do your lead gen work, whether it's email campaigns, direct mail campaigns, the whole nine yards. You're really trying to understand that. So once you get a potential interested seller, let's say. So we're going to look at this from the buyer side. Um, then you start to dig into, okay, it's a getting to know you stage, right? It's kind of like dating, Stone. If you're mm. early in the relationship, you're everybody's on their, usually their best behavior, right? But you're trying <laughs> to really understand what's across the table from you or what's across the coffee shop from you, wherever your first date may lead. So you're trying to get an understanding of what the business is, right? Tell me more about the seller. Tell me how did you get here? So very much like you did with me today, which is great. Um, let me understand why you're looking at potentially selling. So all the why type questions. 
what I've learned in this business is that you revert back to being a five-year-old, which is you ask a lot of why questions, right? Why are you looking to do this? Why is this the case? Why are you looking to retire and move on from this business? Uh, we hear that quite a bit lately. So you're really just trying to get an understanding of the story. Why is this taking place? Why is this owner or this seller at their particular point? And then what are they looking to uh, accomplish with the sales? So I think if you start there in the early stages, that starts a good baseline for the conversation. I, I got to believe you must run into people on both sides of the equation. Uh, you must run into some myths or some preconceived notions, some misconceptions, just things that people think they know about the process in the arena that is just, you know, not not the way it is. Correct. <laughs> is that accurate? That would be very accurate. Yeah, you said it better than I probably could. So, yes. <laughs> like, what are the what are some of the things they get? confused about or they just they don't they, they just they've got it wrong so i'll give you one from each side uh as a buyer don't think that the seller is necessarily trying to trick you so one of the myths is and, and you see this a lot in, in any size deal but you see this a lot where you you take the information you're trying to understand the data right so let's say now you're deeper into the process you've written your letter of intent or your loi you have gone into the due diligence phases, so you're working with your teams. Uh, so we've got a great, for instance, commercial, uh, fiscal, as well as legal team that helps us with those due diligence. And so as you're finding information, you can take one or two tacks. I personally like to take the tack of, hey, maybe this is something, depending on the skill set and the experience of the seller, that they maybe have never run into before. Uh, a lot of people will go, well, wait, they're trying to trick me. That means we need to just recast this deal. You start to throw a baby out with the bathwater when you do that, right, automatically. Mm -hmm. So being able to listen to the information or get the information, come back with salient questions, but nine times out of 10 buyers, the seller is possibly not trying to trick you. You just may have to ask an additional set of questions to understand where they're coming from. Uh, for the sellers themselves, it's being realistic with the process. So the process is going to be chaotic, right? And there's you can pre-plan. So I, I'm a bit of a planner. Uh, my, my friends would maybe call it something different, but we're going to say the nice <laughs> thing about planning. Uh, we're going to use planning as our baseline. So I like to have you know my checklist as a buyer or a seller, right? I want to have my checklist. I want to see you know how much of this stuff is applicable. Well, in some cases, we're dealing with sellers or you're, you yourself as a seller are maybe not experienced in selling your company. Maybe this is the first company you've ever had, and this will be the last sale. So being understanding of maybe what's being asked of you by the buyer is going to help matters because there's there's an honest fear, right? The first time we do anything, and I'm sure, Stone, you could tell us the same thing. The first time we do anything there's going to be a little bit of fear, right? You call yeah. those guts, nerves, whatever, but there's going to be a little bit of internal fear. So what you're trying to do is find those ways to keep going forward while you know you're walking a little bit in fear. Sometimes sellers are in that bucket. So sellers, understanding that it's okay if you don't know everything, hopefully you either have um, a trusted broker, a trusted intermediary, or you do your research to understand what you have in terms of the value and what you're going out to do when it comes to the sales process. So a little bit for the buyer and seller in that particular bucket. So on the, on the seller side, there is helping that person go to market with their business and, and so often mm -hmm. their baby. But how does the whole 
sales and marketing thing work for, for you, for your practice? Like how do you attract the new clients? Great question. Uh, so we, I would say if we narrow it down to three major sections, if you will. Uh, so we create email, email marketing campaigns. Those are kind of that constant drip, right? So that gives us an opportunity to reach out to sellers. Uh, for instance, ones we know that are interested in selling potentially, uh, ones that may not know they're interested in selling, but they're at least interested in hearing more, right? So again, facilitating those conversations, I would love uh, Stone to lie to your viewers and say, oh, this happens overnight, right? Definitely does not. <laughs> so some of that legion can take a little bit of time, right? Uh, so second, then you have your mail campaigns. So we like that too, because there might be some folks that go, great, I have an email address almost because I have to. Um, it's important for me to you know, get a piece of mail. I want to see it. I want to be able to call you. So mail and phone calls is kind of our second direct bucket. Uh, third, which sometimes can be the most fun and sometimes can be the most um, adventurous, would be through our, our leads and our, our, uh, our network, right? So within our having leads or direct contact, someone saying, hey, I hear you're trying to buy a business. I've got someone that I hear is wanting to sell a business. Those direct connections are always beautiful. And again, every once in a while, you can, you can kind of choose your own adventure and, and kind of go down some rabbit holes based on what that seller is looking for. But it's always great to know that people in your network are thinking about you to the point of you've told them exactly what you're looking to do. Hey, we're looking to purchase businesses. We kind of give them a criteria piece. And then when they see it, they think of us before going elsewhere. So that's always a plus uh, when we get our network to do that. So I would say email campaigns, mail and phone call based campaigns, and then those beautiful word of mouth leads from your network. Yeah. So let's get a little bit tactical if we could for, for a, a moment. And specifically, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was timeline and timing, because I, I'm beginning to learn candidly from, from hosting this series, um, that it's, it's, uh, it, it takes a little longer than I would have anticipated. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, so like, Absolutely. for instance, for example, you know, I, I own 40% of a pretty successful media company. If Lee and I felt like we wanted to achieve some sort of exit, um, I mean, this is not something that that we start talking about in December and, and get done in Q1, probably, right? <laughs> probably not. Yes. Unless, unless you guys have all of your ducks already in a row. And if you're a business owner like I am, that sometimes is not the case. So that's OK. <laughs> <laughs> but but you got to there's the ducks in a row. There's the valuation. And then there's it just mm. sometimes it takes a little while to, to get the get it on the market properly and find the right buyer candidate, yeah? Yeah. So you've just basically worked through a process that could go, let's be hopeful and say as short as four to six months, you could be looking at a year process. It's, I'll give you maybe a, a quick correlation. It's kind of like selling your house, but on steroids uh, mm -hmm. in the sense of, you know what it may take to, to get your house updated. Of course, there's right times of season, Everybody always says spring, for instance, right? But if you know your market maybe is a little different than others. So you, there's some intrinsic information that you have to understand. So I'll give you a quick case in point what I mean, part of this process. When you start to look at when you're setting up the asking price, right? So you're the seller and you say, hey, everybody always tells you, hey, I want $10 million. If you hand me $10 million in cash, as an example, I'll leave tomorrow. Well, of course you would because it's $10 million in cash. <laughs> but really trying to get to those valuation pieces, it's interesting based on the time of year. So case in point, we're now getting to the year end for 2022. So 
So you're going to have potentially P&Ls, balance sheets, those types of things. So it becomes a little less of a projection than if you're talking about this in April, May, June, July, right? Or September, mm. where it's still kind of on that projection schedule. But depending on how fast you file your taxes, like we look at tax returns as, as kind of the helpful portion. So when we talk to any of our investors, we can say, hey, we've seen a tax return, which kind of becomes the gospel, if you will, right? Chances are most people are not going to purposely lie on their tax return to to hurt themselves, right? So that be kind of comes an ironclad piece. And so if you are just after that long projection window from let's say April to September, October, and now you're in this window where we are now into December to moving forward into tax season. Well, how long is it going to take for your taxes, right? So you can say, hey, we had the greatest year on record. Well, cool. Do you have your tax return? Well, no. So there's times of the year, right, that like kind of everything happens. And I also tell people this very quickly. Think about real estate. You can get an appraisal in four different points in a year. And depending on what the external environment dictates, that appraisal, maybe not 30, 40 percent difference, but could be, you know, five to 10 percent difference, as we've seen with the interest rate rise. Right. Same thing with your business. Depending on the time that you have everything together, going out to market may be a little bit different on what is a realistic asking price, meaning it will sell. Not saying you got to give away the farm, but it will sell at a quicker rate if everything else is in place versus something that sits on the market for longer. So little things to think about like that in the overarching process of either buying or selling the business. Well, I'm glad I asked. Um, just to, <laughs> no, to keep talking about me for a minute, it's my favorite topic. Uh, Go ahead. <laughs> it is my I love show. it. But no, I was thinking about me and Lee. Like, let's say we, you know, I represented our company as pretty successful. Well, that's probably, you probably can't put that on the, on the contract. You probably, so that, well, we, that, that actually would probably be a goodwill, right? So, <laughs> see? There you go. So we come to you and, and we think we got something around, you know, 10 million, for example, since you use those numbers. And then we get to talking and, you know, you do your magic and, you know, really, realistically, it's, it's worth seven. But with your background and experience, if we come to you early enough, you can probably say, but you know what, guys, if you want to get it to where you, where it really will be worth 10 million, here's some things you can do over the next couple of years, right? I mean, you can, you can help with some strategy and help us sort of think about things so that we are going to get the the most for it, I'm thinking. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's a very key component. So I'm glad you talked about you, Stone. This worked out great. <laughs> um, so this is a this you, we see this quite a bit. So let's use that as, as the example. Um, you think the business you and your partner think the business is worth ten million dollars and the current let's let's say fair market value. Right. Is seven million dollars. But there are definitely ways, and we do this quite a bit with, with some of our, our contacts where we advise or consult on how to grow that company to a specific point or how can we help you grow it to that point. There's also uh, strategic ways to structure the deal, right? So maybe we give you a chunk of that, what you think is 10 million, we think it's seven, but let's try to figure out the gap of how do we fill in that gap from seven to 10 million. That could be anything from earnouts, that could be anything from incentives. Um, seller finance, there there can be some ways to work it. So those are definitely sweeteners in the deal that allow, we like to work with business owners who number one are willing participants. So if we're having this discussion mm-hmm. and we're talking to you and we're saying, hey, the fair market value in terms of just straight cash or, you know, based on that kind of EBITDA multiple, everybody uses EBITDA, right? 
So EBITDA multiple, here's how we got to it. Here's what your fair market multiple is. Now we've got a, we've got a gap of $3 million. Some people could say, all right, you know what? I'm just going to walk away. We try to look at it and say, are you willing to be strategic to get to that 10 million? Maybe we can actually put more in your pocket depending on what we structure. Uh, So I think structure of the deal and negotiation skills is one of the main uh, core components, I would say, of positively keeping a deal. Because the goal is we don't need to fleece anybody to get a good deal, right? We can work with you. We can actually help you get to your end goal. And it may be in different ways. We may come on as as a consultant. We may come on as an advisor um, and have a piece of the equity. So now when you want to go back out to the marketplace and sell it for $10 million, maybe it's actually worth 12 or 15 or maybe it is that 10 and you're comfortable with where you are. Um, so there's there's some definitely different ways to attack different scenarios and strategies. But again, that's the fun of understanding and, and uh, solving for those challenges. Yeah. And you've probably seen other deals, participated in other deals that have similar components. And so you're, you're operating from an experience base that has, um, that I think would be very helpful in those situations. I'm also learning that deal structure is not always, you know, here's your check, here's the keys. So like in that same scenario, you know, if they saw value in it, you know, Lee and I hanging out for a while or running a couple of the key studios for a while, or, I mean, you could, you can build some of that stuff in there too, right? Or financing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, I'll give you a quick quote from, and I, I saw this uh, this author so much in my marketing masters. Uh, his name was Stephen Covey. And one of my favorite quotes that I think about almost on a daily basis when doing uh, this type of work, acquisition, M&A type of work, is begin with the end in mind. Why do I give you that quote? Well, if you go back to what we were talking about, when you're in that getting to know you phase, Asking one of the most simple questions to the seller is what do you want to accomplish, right? So to some people, that means I'm going to, you're, you're going to hand me a check. I'm going to jump in the money like I'm Scrooge McDuck from DuckTales, right? And I'm going to jet set to Europe. That's it. That's all. I want to be done and done. Others will say, look, I just don't have the energy, let's say, to run the business at the full capacity that it needs. But I still want to be involved because I still, I see upside. I think I can help with that upside. So those are two completely different and diverging paths, right? So asking those initial questions allows you then to come back and say, hey, Stone, I know that you and your partner actually still want to be in the business, right? So we could try to give you you all cash and then then you got to worry about your taxable liabilities and all that fun stuff, right? And I'm not playing an accountant, but those are things that are there. If I hand you 10 million, how much do y'all take home, right? But how do we, how does this sound if we go down this route, right? We still want you to be involved in the business. We may purchase X, Y, and Z of the equity, or we may come in and be a consultant and work to help you grow the equity in the business. All of those layers to it, but it's asking those initial questions that seem early on might seem like throwaway questions, but they could be some of the most important questions in the process and actually get everybody to a winning solution on all sides. You mentioned that you're not playing accountant, and that sort of touches on on another point. I, I bet you find yourself kind of quarterbacking sometimes a team of other trusted advisors who are experts in their domain to bring all this together, right? Absolutely. So I get a chance to kind of go back to my sports days. So I played quarterback growing up in high school, yeah. uh, and then I also played point guard. So I get to either be Joe Montana or Magic Johnson in my brain, right? I get to facilitate, <laughs> get people in the right spot. Let's run the offense. Let's do what we have to do. 
Uh, but all kidding aside, you're exactly right. So case in point, as we talked about um, some of those trusted advisors before, so when we're, let's say we're buying or selling, we're looking at those legal components, right? So we have a legal due diligence going on. We do commercial due diligence. We want to understand the background of the company. Are there any uh, nefarious acts going on in the company? All those types of things. Uh, the financial due diligence, um, proof of cash, quality of earnings. So, so many people hear these terms and it's interesting because once you're in the deal, it's kind of like being in a playbook again, right? So again, I play football. If I'm running a deep pattern, my playbook might say nine pattern or not or fly or whatever. Same principles here. You have subject matter experts that you can defer to and say, I understand X. Help me to understand how we can apply that to this scenario. Or, hey, they come to you and say, we've seen something similar. Here's what we did. Do you think this will work for you? So having those subject matter experts, they are, if you do it right, they are worth all of the money you pay them and then some, right? Yeah. When you get into trouble is if you're paying, let's say, the wrong group, the wrong person, whatever. But if if they're as, as good as advertised and they do what they need to do, they're worth every dollar for sure. Well, and I'm thinking it's worth it to me uh, as a buyer or seller that you are helping identify the right person to to fill that role. You know, I I don't even I don't even know that I would even know what questions to ask or how to go shop for the right type of person in a specific area to so that seems like that would be incredibly powerful as as well. So you have other irons in the fire as my daddy would mm-hmm. say. You also <laughs> uh have quite a bit going on in in the real estate arena. Can you speak to that briefly? Yes, I can. Uh, so I actually started um, dabbling in real estate when I was 17. So almost wow. 21 years ago now. Um, I always called it the first deal that I did. I was about 19 or 20, somewhere around there. And I always call it the smartest, dumbest thing I ever did when I started. <laughs> it was smart because I got into the business. It was dumb because I was only good at putting holes and stuff. So for me, it uh, it has been it has become again a pla- a passion play. So I like to do if you can't tell, I like to do things that I really get into and can enjoy, right? And yeah. it's been great because I've learned when I everything that I've learned in real estate, I've been able to translate to acquisition type work, right? So one of the things that you mentioned is those processes. So again, I, I'm a planner. That's what my friends will call me. Will say I'm a planner. So. Within that planning piece, I see the similarities. So I've done anything from be a part of ground up uh, construction projects with developers and general contractors to doing fix and flips on single and, and multifamily homes. Uh, I, I now have my my broker's license uh, in real estate. I've had my salesperson's license for years. And so it's funny because there are so many tools that you learn in putting a process together for uh, a piece of real estate, if you're doing, let's say, a ground up build, the scheduling, the coordination, everything else, it makes business acquisition almost easy based on that experience. So coordinating a, you know, maybe a 10 person team to get a deal across the finish line, of course, having to work with the seller and maybe their seller's broker, I think is almost as e- uh, easier, excuse me, than working on a job site and you've got hundreds of contractors and you're trying to build a mm. 200 unit project. So there, there's some transferable experiences in my real estate life that I've been able to now use uh, and always tweaking to make better, but I've been able to use that in my acquisition life now. 
I'm not even sure this applies to you, but I'm going to ask it anyway, But because i got to believe even you from time to time, you need to give yourself some space, hit the brakes, recharge, get inspired. So I'm kind of curious where you go, and I don't necessarily mean a physical place. You know, I don't know if it's helping out a cause that's dear to you or going to the mountains or how do you, yeah, I guess that's the right word, kind of, kind of recharge, get inspired to get back out there and, and do it again. So that's a great question. I, I do luckily find some time. I have friends of mine that ask me, they go, do you sleep? I go, so the first question is, yes, I sleep. And when I go to sleep, I sleep like a baby. So thank goodness for that. Um, so there's a couple of things that I do to recharge. I love to stay active. Uh, so I try to get in workouts. Uh, right now I'm, I'm uh, at home and uh, it's freezing here. So I can't go out and play golf, mm-hmm. which is another passion of mine. Uh, but I like to work out, play golf, just kind of get outside or, or get moving as much as I can. Um, I, I love music. So if I get a chance to go to concerts or just even listening to music at home while I cook, something as simple as that helps. Um, I, I am a bit of a, uh, a movie dork, but I'm more of like a documentary guy. I'll, I'll watch movies and I've got some favorites, of course. But but I like I like even tapping in on my time off of things that force me to kind of learn and, and, and stay sharp. So uh, some days it's golfing for me and and even within golfing, it's hacking or digging a hole into the earth, but that's all right. Um, but that's fun. Working out is always a, a good thing. I can kind of let out some steam after an hour. Um, just trying to stay, stay consistent and stay moving. I, I do a bad job when I sit completely still. I don't do that well. I don't know why that's the case. I've always been like that, even as a kid. But uh, staying active, staying kind of locked in on, on things that are interesting to me, I think always helps. So that allows me to recharge and refocus when it's time to go back and quote unquote, do work. Cause I don't even feel like I'm doing work. I feel like I'm enjoying what I'm doing, whatever well, that is. I can certainly tell that, but I do think it's important. And it sounds like you agree that, that you do periodically need to give yourself that opportunity to sort of regroup and, and, and circle around. It sounds like you've, you've found a way to do, do that. What a marvelous conversation. What is the best way for our listeners, if they would like to reach out and learn more, have a conversation with you or someone on your team, begin to tap into your work, what's the best way for them to connect with you guys, man? Absolutely. Uh, so one way would be taking a look at our website, which is midamericancapitalholdingswithins.com. So midamericancapitalholdings.com. On the website, you'll have contact information for myself and my team. Uh, shoot an email over. You can use the uh, email address of info at midamericancapitalholdingswithins.com. So info at midamericancapitalholdings.com. Uh, ask questions. We can set up some time, uh, dig into different scenarios. So I, I love to consistently learn. I'm, I'm a bit of a dork when it comes to research and learning. <laughs> so anytime somebody wants to reach out and uh, touch base, more than happy to try to set some time on the calendar. Well, Philip, it has been a real pleasure having you on the show this afternoon. Thank you for for sharing your insight, your perspective, your your enthusiasm, and your and your energy. Keep up the good work, man! And, and thank you for investing the time with us today. Well, thank you, Stan. I appreciate uh, being asked to be on, and uh, love the show. So this is uh, something I've been looking forward to. So thank you so much for sharing your time. My pleasure, man. All right, until next time, this is Stone Payton for our guest today, Dr. Philip Hearn with Mid-American Capital Holdings and everyone here at the Business Radio X family saying we'll see you again on Buy a Business Near Me.